Let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll also pray. Uh, you know, we sang that song, How Great Thou Art, and the stars declaring the greatness of God. In fact, I forgot about that. This, the first service, I don't know, we were awake, and I said, hey, what are some things that, w- that declare the greatness of God that don't particularly have to do with you that are general things that declare the greatness of God this morning? Nature, as you look out, we just sang about it. The stars and the heavens, the mountains, the sea, whatever. That declares the greatness of God. What else? Babies. They do. I have a grandson that just uh, came into my world. Crazy to think about the greatness of God displayed in, in the create. Like, no baby's the same. No matter what you think when you look at them in the pictures. They're not the same, okay? So, uh, yeah, babies. What else? Music declares the greatness of God. What a great way to worship, isn't it? Just expresses some of the heart that we have. Sometimes it just can't get expressed any other way. One more thing. More living. Some of us, that declares the greatness of God. <laughs> some of us. <laughs> all right, good. Uh, praise God that we are all here this morning. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the word of God, okay? God, you are great. You are worthy of our praise. We thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your spirit, which is able to take your word and help us to know what to do with it. God, there are a lot of people that read your word all the time and have no idea what to do with it. But God, your spirit who lives in us, who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, is our teacher this morning. Father, I pray that you would take these words and help us to know what to do with them. And God, we thank you as well for just a gathering of of people each week that we can gather together with and celebrate how great you are. Uh, Father, thank you for that. And we pray this morning as we look into your word that um, you'd help us to understand uh, the importance of it for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Steve has been in 1 John, and we are in chapter 2. So if you got your Bibles, and I trust that you do, grab it and uh, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, If you don't have one, there's a black one right in front of you there, and feel free to take that home. If you don't have one at home, that's our gift to you. Um, But we want you to be reading your own copy of the Word of God, so grab that. 1 John chapter 2, we will begin in verse 18, but just by way of review, last week, I don't know if you remember, um, and I'm I'm going to assume second service, Steve did the first, the same as what he did the first, okay? Maybe not a good assumption, but... He got behind this, it's not a pulpit, I don't know what they call it anymore, but he got behind this in the first service, and he said, you know, when somebody's got something serious to say, they look you in the eyes and say, hey, I, just, I, I want to say something really, really important. That's what John's doing in verses 17 and 18 here. He's kind of still carrying on that same thing. Say, hey, I have something really important. Last week, it was about worldliness. And he said, I don't care what you say. John says, no matter what you say, if you love the world more than you love the Father, you're a liar. You can't love the Father and love the world at the same time. It's mutually exclusive. And so as, as, as he talks about that and he shared that with us last week, He ended with this idea in verse 17 of, hey, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we're going to kind of continue that theme. So I want you to hear the same sort of kind of plea that came across last week happening this week. 
Now, the problem is sometimes we can hear some of these warnings from Scripture and we can kind of dismiss them because we live in a world that says, hey, you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and don't, you know, don't make me buy into what you believe. And it's very relativistic. And so when we come to something like this, we might say, you know, John, okay, that, you know, I, I hear you getting a little bit excited, but it's okay for you. My kids growing up, we went on a family hike, and I went out and, and uh, saw my daughter, especially either daughter, but the guys, you know, they can take care of themselves. But the girls, you know, as a dad, protecting them. I, if I see them go out and, and look at this red berry that I know to be poisonous, I would never let them think, well, it looks good to eat. It looks like some of the the good stuff that I eat, so I might as well eat it. I would not let them do that. In fact, I would step in, even if they wanted to, and say, no, you're not going to do that. It is not good for you. Because there is such a thing as truth. And in our culture, we don't like to hear that. But John is expressing in the next few verses here a truth that I think we need to hear. And the temptation is going to be this morning... That's for everybody else. That's not for us. I know we, we tend to think everybody that comes here to PCBC is just like us. They want to hear the Word of God. They love Jesus. They, they are on their way to heaven. Why don't you stop and think about that for a minute? Because I'll guarantee you not everybody that comes to PCBC is on their way to heaven. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Because that's what John talks about here. And so as we begin, he starts out in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. You're going to see some things repeated in the book of John. And I encourage you to do your own study in the book of John to see those things. Because when Scripture repeats it, it's kind of important. This is one of those things he says children again. Why does he keep calling them children? Again, he's not belittling them, but he loves them. They are precious to him. And what he's going to say in the next couple of little verses, he says, I want you to understand this is really, really important. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the Greek and all that kind of stuff, but order is kind of important in the Greek, and, and it's kind of cool here in this verse because it's kind of Star Wars just if you do it word for word. It is, the idea here is, children, the last hour it is. The emphasis is on that last hour. We are in it. Now, that's the same idea throughout the New Testament of kind of the last days and it's not as in we're, um, we're like, John wasn't expecting in the next few days for Jesus to come. But as the New Testament writers use it, it's usually from the time of Jesus coming the first time until the time of Jesus coming the second time. Throughout Scripture, that's, that's how that idea is used. And so as John expresses this, children, it's the last hour. What he wants them to do is similar to... I played soccer just like Steve did for whatever reason, and, and so we use soccer illustrations, all right? For most of you, soccer is a boring game. It's 90 minutes, 45 minutes straight of two halves, and that's it. And most of the time, you get to the end of the game, 
And nothing's happened. Nobody scored a goal. I mean, it, you know, it can be boring. But here's one thing that happens, not just with soccer, but almost every, excuse me, almost every sport. Get to the end of the game. And if it's a, still a tie game for the last five minutes, you know what happens? Everybody is very focused. Everybody puts in everything that they've got. Everybody is intentional with what they're doing. All of a sudden, all the distractions, like it comes down to the last five minutes. And that's the idea that John's trying to get across here. Guys, it is the last hour. And when it gets to be the last hour, there's some things that we ought to know. Again, uh, so just so you know, I already know. I've done this once. I'm not going to get through everything. Okay, so there are going to be some things that you're going to have to study on your own. This Antichrist thing is one that you're going to have to study on your own. Because we could spend three or four weeks talking about this and, and the idea of Antichrist through the Bible. Um, I don't have time this morning to do that. But what I do want you to understand is in the last hour, the word Antichrist means opposed to Christ as well as replacement or instead of Christ. In the last hour, there are going to be lots of people who will be opposed to Jesus and the message of the gospel. And there will be lots of people who will say, you don't need Jesus, what you need is me. Now, that's not like, you know, we just watched, for whatever reason, Aquaman last night. We don't need Aquaman, okay? But there is going to be somebody who's pretty convincing that, hey, what you need is me. If I can solve all the world's problems, you don't need Jesus, you need me. And just like we read in Matthew chapter 24, end time comes, there's going to be lots of people, he said that several times in that passage. There's going to be deceivers, there's going to be false prophets, there's going to be deception, there's going to be lying. You know what the thing about all of that is? If it was so obvious, we would go, yeah, that's a lie. But deception is so close to the truth that we say, man, that sounds good. I want to believe that. And we step into it. He says, children, don't be deceived. Deception is running rampant. Be alert. But also be encouraged. It's the last hour. You know what else that means? Jesus isn't very far away. Be encouraged. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not, they all are not of us. Now here again, you got to get a little bit of kind of background. There were evidently some people who had been a part of John's congregation there. And they looked like Christians. They came on Sundays. They partook in communion. They might have taught Sunday school classes. They might have even been pastors. They were among us for a while. But now they've left. And John says, they were never part of us. They looked the part. They did some things. But they were never a part of who we were. Now, I want you to understand, this word is meant, and we're going to spend a decent amount of time here. But this word is meant to be a word of encouragement, okay? So we're going to do both. We're going to do some challenging and we're going to do some encouraging. John says they were among us, but they went out from us. 
He's very careful in the choice of tenses of verbs that he uses. And again, without getting on into all the Greek, because you don't know Greek and it won't matter to you, I'll try and explain why it matters, okay? First of all, he says, the false teachers have left. That's a completed action. They're gone. They're out of John's congregation. We don't know where they went. He doesn't tell us where they went. But they are no longer a part of the worship service on Sunday, so to speak. But then he says, they were never truly a part of us. That's a continuing, ongoing thing. Both in the past, they were never a part of us. Right now, they are not a part of us. And they won't be a part of us in the days ahead. That's some pretty strong language, isn't it? Paul says, or John says, hey, these guys, they looked like they were a part of us, but they were never, ever part of us and then he gives this little condition for if here's the condition if they had been a part of us they would never have left that's a in the greek that's like the idea is it's more than completed it's more than a fulfillment of that if then kind of statement if they were a part of us for sure they never would have left so we got some things to talk about here, okay? First of all, that sounds kind of harsh. If you go back up uh, chapter 2, verse 10, I just want to read a few words that John said a little bit easy, earlier and say, hey, John, what's the deal, man? Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes hey john it sounds to me like you're not loving your brother because you're calling these people that left basically enemies what's the deal john again our, our culture struggles with this and I think we need to remind ourselves of this over and over and over again because you're going to hear all kinds of things out, about, out there about what love is. That is a misunderstanding of what love is. Love does not say, I tolerate whatever you believe and ignore the truth. True love does not have to make a choice between either hatred or agreement. I can still love somebody and disagree. Love does not say, if you don't agree with me, you must leave either. That's not what John's saying. John is saying, they didn't agree with me, and so they left. In fact, he doesn't even say that, honestly. He says, they didn't agree with God about who Jesus was, and so they left. So we need to understand, first of all, John is being truthful but he's not being harsh in fact if anything he's being loving you say well how do you know that well scripture tells us that sometimes these kinds of things happen actually to bring god glory then well how can people leaving the church bring god glory first corinthians chapter 11 he tells us it happens so that as people go out you can know who's telling the truth and who isn't as John would say, you can tell who's part of us and who isn't part of us. In the church, it gets a little bit confusing because we tend to think, well, everybody, again, who comes here on Sundays, 
they must love Jesus because they're here every week. And so we hear them say something that they learned in their devotions, and we think, oh, I've never saw that before, but okay. They must love Jesus. We hear all kinds of things, and we rather than filter it, we say, eh, we see them on Sunday, so it must be okay. John says some of these people go out so that it can be revealed that they are not of the truth. But a couple of things I want to be careful about, okay? I, I'm not saying that anybody who leaves PCBC is apostate. Okay? I'm not saying that, all right? There are other churches out there that teach the Word of God, that proclaim the message of the Gospel. And if someone leaves here to go somewhere else that's preaching the Gospel because maybe they move away, uh, maybe it's closer to them and where they live, or maybe they just decide, you know, there's some secondary things that I'm not necessarily in agreement with, but I found a church over here that I'm more comfortable with. That's different than leaving because you say, hey, I don't agree with what you say about Jesus anymore. Or leaving because you say, hey, I haven't got the whole message at PCBC, and so I'm going over to the Mormon church because they teach a lot of things that I don't hear at the Baptist church. That's not the same, okay? Just so that you know. So, first of all, not everyone who leaves PCBC has fallen away. Number two, not everyone who leaves what they, what they know to be right. In other words, I go out and I find myself in the middle of sin. And I'm wrestling with that. Not everybody who's wrestling with sin is an antichrist. Okay? There may be times where I say, you know what, I still believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He took my place on the cross. But at this moment, I'm not willing to give up my sin. Now here's a guarantee. God will deal with you if you are His child. But again, that's totally different than someone saying, you know what, I grew up in the church. I memorized my Iwana verses, but that's a bunch of hogwash. I don't want to have anything to do with that now. Instead, I believe in Buddhism, or I want to believe in Hinduism, or I don't want to believe in anything. I'm an atheist now. That's different, okay? So be careful that you don't say everybody who maybe has fallen into sin is an antichrist. But here's also what I, what I want to point out to you. Um, <clears throat> we haven't talked a lot about antichrist and what it means and stuff, but what I do want to help you to understand this morning is there's a lot of different teaching out there, okay? First president of Southwestern Baptist Seminary, B.H. Uh, Carroll, had a saying, when you see a star fall, you know it's not a star. Did you know that, Dick? When you see a star fall, you know it's not a star. Why? Because that's Stars are up in the heavens displaying the glory of God. And what you've seen is a little piece of dirt that has come down, hit the Earth's atmosphere, gotten hot, and is now glowing as it goes through the Earth's atmosphere. That's not a star. That's a piece of dirt. All right? In the same sort of way, when you see a, a teacher or a preacher who has been preaching the Word of God, and you thought, man, I could trust him. And he walks away and says, I don't believe the Word of God anymore. He was never a teacher of the Word of God. He was never a part of us. Even though he may have been proclaiming from the Bible. 
Profession does not necessarily mean possession. There's an old-time phrase that I thought was kind of cool as I read it. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. You want to do a tongue twister with somebody this week? Remember that one. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. Okay? So we're going to spend a little bit of time here talking about eternal security because that's one of the things that comes up all the time. How do I know I'm really saved? How do I know I'm going to make it to the end? And there are some misconceptions about what that looks like, okay? He says their departure was their unmasking. Mark chapter 13, verse 13, if you want to turn there real quickly, and it's very similar to something that we read in Matthew chapter 24. But Mark chapter 13, verse 13, is another kind of almost exact same way to say it. Mark 13, 13, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And there are other passages in Scripture that sound like that, and so you, you hear that and you think, well, so I just got to hang on to the end. I got to hang on to Jesus, and if I let go of Jesus, I, I will not make it. That's not what that, that verse is teaching, okay? Just to make it real clear, endurance is not what it takes for you to be saved. But endurance is a mark of salvation. It is not something that you need to produce in order that you get to the end and you know you're going to heaven. But it is something for those of you who are saved, you will be enduring through all the things hanging on to your faith. It is a mark of salvation. That's why we tend to differentiate between the big C church and the little C church. Or to put it a different way, the visible church and the invisible church. This here, as we gather together on Sundays, this is the visible church. I can see you, you can see me. But here's the problem. Not everybody that's part of the visible church is part of the invisible church, the big C church, where God knows our hearts. That's hard. Again, because we come to church on Sundays and we think, well, everybody who goes to church here is going to heaven. Not necessarily the case. John is saying in his church, there were a bunch of people who came every Sunday, they looked the part, they said the right things, and now they've gone and done their own thing. They've left us because they were never part of us, even though they looked like us. Say, well, how do I know then? How do I know if I'm one of those one? This is really important, okay? And I want you to see this real clearly. So help me out. If you're not seeing it, give me a funny look or something, all right? Turn over to John chapter 10. John 10, verse 27. How do I know that I'm going to be one of those ones that's going to make it to the end, that my salvation is secure? 
John 10, 27. Jesus is speaking, and he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you're in Awana, you know these verses because you got them in your little packet, right? I give them eternal life. How long is eternal life? Forever. Not until I mess up. Not until I forget. Not until someone tells me I'm not saved anymore. I give to them eternal life. And they will never perish. That's not my words, that's Jesus' words. He gives them eternal life and they will never perish. And then there are two reasons why. Number one, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Who's, he, who's speaking again? Jesus. Jesus has us in the palm of his hand. And he says, no one's able to snatch them out of my hand. And then he goes on to say, but not only that, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of his hand. It's as though you're double wrapped. You're in Jesus' hand and you're in God the Father's hand. And no one is able to pluck us out of his hand. Your salvation is secure. But what do you note is missing in those verses? I don't have anything to do with it. My salvation is secure because of Jesus and God the Father. It is not secure because of me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with him. Jude you know where Jude is? Turn over there. There's only one chapter. But there are some of the greatest verses in all of Scripture at the end of that one chapter. It's called a doxology. And we used to sing it when, when I was in Australia. We used to sing at the end of every service a, a song that, that was to this. Okay? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Sorry, ESV, blameless. I was singing in my head. Blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. To whom belongs that glory? Not to me. I'm not the one that can present myself faultless. I'm not the one that can make sure that my salvation is going to last. It says now to him who is able to do that. How do I know I won't stray? First of all, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. But there are some false teaching that goes around that is very deceptive, okay? I know we laugh and we say, man, that would never happen at PCBC. Where the gospel gets so confused and we think it's about just getting our life better. I don't like the way I look and I'm a little too overweight, so I add a little Jesus. I don't like the way my marriage is going. 
But guys, so often that's how the gospel is presented. You want your life to get a little bit better? Just turn it over to Jesus. He'll make everything better. That's not the gospel message. That is not salvation. The message of the gospel is that Jesus came for a very specific reason, and that's that you and I are sinners. I don't need a little bit of fixing. I, I need total transformation. I need a new birth. My sin needs to be forgiven. But we have all this teaching out there that says, just add a little bit of Jesus and your life is going to be better. And John says, all these false teachers, they're missing the point of the gospel. They are making Jesus out to be somebody that he never claims to be. He claimed to be the Savior of the world. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. That was his message. And John says, there's a bunch of people who used to come to our church, and now they've gone out because, yeah, that Jesus thing was okay for a while, but now we've got a, we've got a better thing. It will let you get just a little bit closer to God. And if you know what we know, man, you can really do it. And John says they went out from us, but they were never a part of us. But they're liars. And now they're preaching a different message. Here's where it gets a, a little bit maybe more uncomfortable. Eternal security has nothing to do with raising a hand, praying a prayer, walking an aisle, signing a card, or any such thing. Throwing a stick in the fire. That's not salvation. That's an experience. But salvation requires God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And unless God gives you that new birth, you know what you've done? You've had a cool experience. There were people in John's church who had experiences. They did things that looked Christian-like, but had never had that new birth. And here's the problem. It can happen here at PCBC. Where people come week after week. And this is it. And then they go out the rest of the week and you can't tell them from anybody else. But the thought is, oh, I, I, I come every Sunday. What, what do you want from me? God wants a relationship with you through Jesus. He doesn't want an experience. And so was, I, I, just, I want you to understand, like this is meant to be an assurance of salvation that John's giving them. It's not a guessing game. He says over and over again, one of those things that he repeats throughout 1 John. This is how you know. This is how you know. You can know. He says it over and over and over again. An assurance of eternal salvation is a possibility. You can know that. John 6, 37, and you don't need to turn there. 
All the Father draws to him, he will bring to himself, and he will keep them until the last day. Hebrews 6, 11. We have a sure hope. You can know that you are saved. But you don't know you're saved because you walked an aisle. You can't know you're saved because you filled out a little card. You know you're saved because he's made a promise. Your dependence is not upon what you did. It doesn't have anything to do with what you did. It has everything to do with what he did. And we misuse this idea of once saved, always saved, to say, well, I prayed the prayer, so now I can do whatever I want. You might have prayed something, but if you prayed something, then something else should have taken place. Because here's the problem. When you pray something, and God does that work, that's the initiating. That's the born-again part. God does that work. And when He does that work, then over time, my life looks more and more and more like Jesus. When He gives you a new birth, you begin to grow. That's just the start. And then you take steps to look more and more like Jesus. And His promises, what He begins, He will complete. There will be a day where every single one of us will be as He is. We will be just like we're supposed to be. That day's not going to happen until we get to see Him face to face. But this process on this earth is me looking more and more like Jesus. So to say, once saved, I prayed the prayer and nothing changes all along the way, you're lying to yourself. The new birth brings about a change that we can't produce on our own. We don't have to work harder. We don't have to try harder. We have to walk in the light as he is in the light, as John has been telling us. The Bible does teach that salvation begins at a specific time. But then growth happens after that. And so maybe a better way than to say once saved, always saved, is when I am saved, I will always be saved. When He does that work in me, He will always fulfill His promise. It has nothing to do with me. Now, I'm not saying forget about the day that you prayed the prayer. But your dependence upon your salvation has nothing to do with the prayer. It has everything to do with Jesus. In this verse, John says these guys turned away because they weren't ever saved. They might have had a point in time when they did this or they did that or whatever and they made somebody happy, but at the end they were never born again. Your salvation is not dependent upon your performance. It's dependent upon His performance in you. Deception happens all over the place today. <clears throat> happens in books. Happens in blogs. Happens on TV. Happens on podcasts. Happens on YouTube. Please be careful what you listen to. Because John's point here is we are in the last days. And deception is going to run rampant. And it is going to look so close to the truth 
that unless the Spirit of God is your counselor, you're going to fall into all kinds of traps. Now here's the encouraging part. <coughs> verse 20, back to First John, chapter 2, verse 20. Sorry, I, ooh, I got to keep track of time here. You have been anointed by the Holy One. You have the Spirit of God, and you have you all have knowledge. Now, some of your translations read, "You have all knowledge." We know from re reading the rest of the Bible, we don't have all knowledge. Okay, bad translation. You all have knowledge, and what I want you to see here is every single one of us has access to this kind of lie detector. The Spirit of God lives in us. Guys, again, bad teaching. But the anointing isn't like a virus that you catch or some kind of germ that you spread around. The anointing of the Spirit of God happens when you trust Christ as your Savior and He indwells you. He then gives you everything that you need to know about Scripture. Now, again, He's not saying don't listen to any teachers. Don't listen to your pastor up front. Don't listen to your Sunday school teacher. Don't listen to anybody... Not what he's saying. He's saying you have been taught everything that you need to know about Jesus and who he is and what he did on the cross. Don't leave that. You don't need some special experience, some new knowledge, some sort of new thing that's going to get you further. You have everything that you need to know that you are saved. You have the Spirit of God indwelling you and you've been given the Word of God. You have that anointing. And you have the knowledge that you need. So verse 21, I write to you not because you don't know the truth. He's writing to a bunch of people who are left in the church. Okay, A bunch of people have gone out, but he's writing to the people who are left in the church saying, I'm not writing to you something new. I'm writing to you the same things that I've been writing to you. You know the truth. And because no lie is of the truth. This work of the Spirit of God, he's saying you don't, you don't need someone to come in and give you the next level. The Spirit of God has already given you what you need to know about Jesus. And so verse 21 is a great statement. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. This is in logic what's called the law of non-contradiction. If you know anything about logic, there are, you know, as you're debating, you can say certain things and, and, and it'll be true. As you say other things, and it will be a contradiction and you get yourself in trouble in a debate doing that. So the law of non-contradiction says A can't be true and A can't be false at the same time. There's also another law that I didn't know anything about until this week. Kind of cool. It's called the law, this is a logic law as well, the law of explosion. Great terminology for this. Here's what it says. The law of explosion says you can prove anything you want if you use a contradiction. We have a lot of pastors out there proving all kinds of things, contradicting themselves, but in our minds we can't figure out what's contradicted because we don't know the Word of God. And so they say over here, Jesus wants you to be healthy. Yeah, Jesus wants you to be healthy. But does Jesus want you to be healthy so much so that he's going to take away every sickness that you have in the moment that you ask him to take away from you? 
Jesus wants you to be prosperous. Does Jesus want you to be prosperous? Yeah, but probably not in the way you're thinking. You don't need a Mercedes to drive around in. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need a private plane. Like, you don't need that. What you need is Him. And He wants you to prosper spiritually. Like, so, the, the law of explosion, take anything you want in the Word of God, but don't compare it to anything else, because if you do, you'll find out it's not exactly true. But you improve anything you want, if you don't mind contradiction. And these false teachers, they were trying to teach them things that said, hey, you've got some of the truth, but you need a little bit more of the truth. But it contradicted stuff that they'd already heard about Jesus, who he was, why he came, what was important about that. Because he goes on to say, verse 22 and 23, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. If you possess the Son, you have the Father. Guys, the problem is, <clears throat> how do you get the Son? You have to understand who Jesus is. There's, it's going to be obvious here. But your built-in lie detector goes, hey, I just had someone come to my door and tell me that Jesus is just one of many sons of God, the brother of Lucifer. and Your built-in lie detector goes, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. You're also in a conversation maybe with somebody at work, and they say, you know, Jesus, he was, a, he, he was God for a while, but when he died on that cross, he wasn't God. God saved him from having to die on the cross. His spirit ascended, and so it was only the physical Jesus that died on the cross. That's not what my Bible says. And the Spirit of God is able to take His Word and help you to understand all of these lies that are being thrown out there. But in that day and age, there's a lot of lying, and a lot of deception going on about who Jesus was. <clears throat> I know it's kind of coming to a screeching halt. There's a whole bunch more that I'm going to skip through here, but we're almost, time's almost up. And I do want to get to, so what? <clears throat> I want you to know today, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your rescuer from your sin, and you've placed your faith in Him, and you're seeing growth along the way, you're not who you used to be. You're maybe not who you hoped you would be, but you're seeing God change your life. You can have an assurance that one day, one day, you will see Him face to face. But that has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with what He has promised because of who Jesus is. You can know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I want you to be assured of that this morning if you know Jesus as your Savior. I want you to think about what am I trusting in? There are people who come here every week 
And none of us want to see people who have come to PCBC every week get to heaven. And the Bible says there's going to be many people, many, that he's going to have to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. But we did miracles in your name. We did all kinds of things. And you say, I never knew you. The Spirit of God can give you a peace. And this morning, if you do not have peace, if you do not know that you are saved, because you, you hear all of this stuff and you say, okay, I know I've heard it, but I also know that in spite of the fact that maybe I prayed a prayer, or I walked an aisle, or I signed a card, or I memorized a verse, or I threw a stick in the fire, whatever it is, nothing's changed. And I'm just coming, going through the motions every Sunday because that's what I'm supposed to do. I beg with you, please, take the time to make sure that your relationship with Jesus is what you say it is. Because John says over and over and over again, you can say whatever you want. But as Greg Goodman says, going into McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Coming to PCBC doesn't make you a Christian. It's you and Jesus. I can't do anything for you. Your Sunday school teacher can't do anything for you. Your, your elders or your deacons can't do anything for you. It's you and him. And unless you've taken care of business on your own, you have every right to question whether or not you're going to spend eternity in heaven. So I... I I'm begging you, please. If God's at work in your heart and you're not convinced, don't finish the day without do, dealing with Him. You don't have to do it with me. Again, you don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to pray a specific prayer, but you do need to talk to Him and say, God, I'm convinced that I'm still a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm convinced that He died on the cross for me. And I know today that if I were to die without making this right, I wouldn't spend eternity with you. So God, please forgive me. I'm trusting in Jesus alone and in your promise that whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. I'm trusting in that alone. You can do that on your own. If you want to ask somebody that you came with to talk you through it, great. We'd love to help you with that as well. But we want you to know that Jesus is your Savior and that you have a relationship with God that will last for all of eternity. It begins right now, but it will last for all of eternity.